Music from D.C. and Baltimore You'll find it all here on Corridor Waltzes or cut time or straight for four You'll find it all here on Corridor Hi everybody, this is Kelsey, this is Quartercast. I hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. I know I did. My boyfriend's dad made a really awesome smoked turkey that was, uh, reminded me that turkey can be delicious. I hope you all experience similar holiday miracles. This week's guest I'm super excited to have on is Hometown Girl. That's the latest project of Anne and Rich Feinstein. They're going to talk about their history because they've had several different projects. Uh, you're going to hear about Rich's recording studio And um, one thing that was particularly fascinating to me about it is, uh, you know, they're a married couple, so I was curious about how how that works out with playing music. Um, I I love to see couples play music together. We'll get to that in a second. A couple quick notes before we play the show. Um, Santa Labrada has its final mixes in the bag, and we're ready to go on to mastering, so that is super, super exciting. We have our first show lined up uh, when we come back from our hiatus in February. Thanks to Double Motorcycle. Um, that's a ways out, so, you know, things can change. I'll give you guys a heads up as we get closer to that date, but it looks like we should be getting things moving again, if not in January, at least in February. I also wanted to remind you guys really quick about the Krabbies. Uh, this podcast is up for the Baltimore Suns Krabby Award which is kind of a fun, silly way just to, like, let people know that the show exists and if you're into local music, that you should be listening to it. If you feel like it, you can vote once a day. The best way I've found to find it is just to Google Krabby's and Baltimore Sun if you want to vote. I'll be looking to line up some interviews with new bands in the coming year. Um, so if you want to send me suggestions, corridorcast at gmail.com is a way you can get in touch with me. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter at Quartercast. The only thing I ask is that you be a local band and have some sort of recorded project we can listen to. Okay, so that's about all I got for you at the top of the show. We're going to get into this really fun, informative talk with Ann and Rich. Very warm, welcoming people that play some blistering in-your-face rock and roll. So to give you a little taste, here's Hometown Girls Troubles. Uh, Ann and Rich from Hometown Girl. How are you guys doing? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Doing well, thanks. And cool. thanks for having me over. Uh, thanks sorry for about the time thing. Thanks for your flexibility. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Um, but I had you guys on because uh, Hometown Girl has a new album, which, and uh, I wanted to talk to you guys about that. So talk to me about the project. Like, you recorded it here at your home studio, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, we started probably about a year ago when... Uh, your typical EP, we want to get a bunch of songs together, and we started pre-production, writing the songs, kind of figuring them out, and then we recorded them once, just to see what they sounded like, and then, uh, what do you think? We listened back. Well, yeah, you listen back, and some of the songs we know aren't finished, and we know that there's more that needs to be done on them, and it sort of gives us an idea of where to steer in what direction to go in and then eventually we ended up recording them again and um the way we record them is is kind of drums in one room and me and guitar and, and vocals separate in another room and um sometimes um the phrasing and of the lyrics and whatnot because of the separation you can sort of figure out that you need to work on the lyrics a little bit more and sure. the phrasing and so then um, we ended up going on tour in May, and uh, by the time we got home, we were so tight on a lot of these songs. It, it was just the perfect time to record them for the third time, <laughs> final time, and that was that was the keeper. Yeah, <laughs> nothing like a tour to get them tighter, I guess. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. You get to play them every day for a while, yeah. and as soon as we got back, we had realized after watching some of the tour footage that we shot, uh, they're definitely more up because we've been playing them in front of crowds, mm. and the tempos just went up. So we said, let's just let's just do it like we've been doing it, and kind of use some of our live recordings as a template to get get the upbeat versions of the songs that were upbeat and really hold it together. Yeah, yeah but most of the time when we record, it's always a couple of processes. Yeah, a couple that, yeah. times through. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. So you demo it and then, you know, you work on it. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So tell me about the tour. Where did you guys go? What cities did you hit? Well, we went for a week uh, down south. We went to Wilmington, North Carolina. We went to Winston-Salem, North Carolina, Columbia, South Carolina. Um, and back to Greensboro, back to North, Greensboro Carolina. North Carolina. <laughs> All the <Yeah>. Carolinas. <laughs> well, yeah, they're two big states, so yeah. you can kind of cover some ground. We, we weren't able to break Georgia, but we had a place to go in Florida, but we didn't want to drive all the way through Georgia for oh, one show. Sure. Yeah. So uh, that's, a, that's a pretty big drive, if I remember when I used to visit my grandma down there. <laughs> But yeah, so um, what uh, what venues did you play? Like, uh, were I guess these were like smaller spots. Well, uh, well you know, the record stores we will play, uh, and uh, some bars and clubs, and we'll do an occasional house show. We did the drip coffee in South Carolina. Um, so uh, you know, we'll we'll any house show club. It varies. It, varies, it yeah. always varies. It's funny when you're booking the tour. Some places like the clubs, you have to book three months in advance. Right. Yeah. yeah. But then you have your house show, and that could be in question up to like two weeks before you leave for tour, yeah. but it always comes together. Yeah. yeah. So you played a coffee shop. Now, your sound is like so heavy. So how does that go over in a coffee shop? That well, sounds cool. It was a it was a punk show at a coffee shop. Yeah. Gotcha. So they had it at the, in the back. They had kind of a little stage area. and they had Most, the bands of, most the of the, the, the patrons at the coffee shop, anyhow, all had their little earbuds in and were playing on their laptop and so they you know they were there for the coffee yeah in the back you could go for the show so i, I don't think the music affected them at all because yeah. they were drinking separated. their coffee exactly yeah. <laughs> um so when you were recording it um so you said you noticed things you wanted to change what kind of things did you tweak what kind of things did you learn from the demos to the the finished product a lot of times for me it's the phrasing it's the, uh, the lyrics are usually the last thing that I put together. Um, I, I sometimes will have most of the song all done, but you know, a change here and there that I need to do, or a variation on a phrasing of a, a, a verse I would like to change. Mm -hmm. And that can be emphasized when you listen back to it on the recording because you get that beat where you're singing on the beat you may want to move that a little bit edge it a little bit to give it a little change in the lyrics so for me it's always the phrasing and that's when i know because i will play I sing it different live because mm -hmm. i'm playing at the same time as yeah. opposed to recording it it's too structured too too square so for me at least it's it's the vocals yeah. and um, 
oh god yeah as soon as i listen <laughs> back to a take with my drums i'm thinking where am i lacking and what could be better yeah. and, and then it's always just make sure that everything feels good because when we track we track together and you know we'll do a full take and halfway through it starts feeling good we're getting you know into the sweet spot we've played it a few times well third time second half of the third take sounds amazing but the first half wasn't quite there so you go back you listen you shoot for the first half of the song you cut and glue them together and nobody knows anything yeah. <laughs> um did you have any like surprises uh i mean i know you said phrasing but were there any specific like surprises you had when you were um, down there recording uh yeah we found out that's usually the time when we're going to drop a song yeah oh, okay i mean it, it we'll work hard on everything but sometimes one of these songs is not like the others it mm -hmm. didn't quite live up to its potential and you know we'll make a decision we'll go from having a seven song record to a six song record mm -hmm. we'll go from a six song to a five song mm -hmm. if we have to but you know we'll put them back and recycle but listening to an album in its entirety kind of gives you an idea of where the weakest link is. Mm -hmm. uh, on this record, we had one song called Nightmare that had tempo issues. Mm -hmm. It kept yeah. slowing up yeah. and speed, slowing down and speeding up a bit at a certain part. And the first few times we recorded it, it was kind of there, and we were we thought that's how it should go. Upon listening to it over and over, we realized this is just a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> so then we just decided to zoom in on the part and just, just, you know, recording is short moments of intense focus. Mm -hmm. And once we were able to get past that hump, we just said, the heck with it, we're recording the song again. There was one song that got recorded four times for the record, oh, wow. but by the end, it was so right. It was uh, undeniable. Well, that's got to be a benefit of having a studio right in your house is, uh, you know, it's not like you're paying any extra money for that. No, we uh, paid everything up front. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's extremely handy. Yeah, any day, any time you want to play or record or do anything, you don't have to worry about penciling anything. I just have to worry about Rich's schedule, sure. you know, outside we'll, of the recording. Yeah, We'll clear out time in the studio for us a yeah. couple of times a year. And, you know, we, we rehearse regularly and any, any point that we want to demo something up, we just move the mics around and do it. But when we get serious about recording, we have to move a couple things and really get set. And if we grab a bunch of songs to record and we've been playing them and working on our set and getting it all together, and then we go to record and we say you start recording one or two songs. After a week or two of trying to work on them, you've kind of lost the other ones later on down. So you got to stop recording and start practicing again and get them up into shape and do that. But we're lucky. We're really lucky to be able to do it and have the opportunity to hear it back in studio form so we can really make decisions. Mm -hmm. yeah. So did you guys find that um, you would schedule time or would it be like, okay, I have this idea, it's three in the morning, I'll just go down there anyway? Uh, like, or... it, it depends on schedule. Um, you know, three-day weekends are great because, you know, if I don't have to go to work or anything like that, we got three whole days that, that we could just spend the entire week. And it depends on our individual schedules. But uh, Yeah, I have... Uh session work during the week mm -hmm. monday through friday and sometimes if we're setting up to record i want to lock everything down the microphones and the amps and everything are going to stay in one yeah, place for an extended period of time yeah. so uh, we just have to kind of plan it ahead of time depending on what the schedule is but once we do we're locked in and then we realize okay we've got two weeks to get this done let's see what we can do yeah. But halfway through, we have yeah. to stop and move everything and re rehearse up some songs yeah. and then go back to record. <laughs> sure. There is a schedule involved because, again, like if you're coming off of a tour or you're 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 gearing up for a, a, a show that's coming up, you're going to be playing the same songs over and over again. So, um, you know, again, if if, the, if that's the perfect time to record them, then get them done and then. Sometimes when it's you know the dead of winter, it's like you know why why book shows that may be canceled because right. of snow, let's just sit and write and just come up with some new stuff. So there are moments where we'll have scheduling, not quite scheduled, penciled in on a calendar or anything, but yeah, let's work on 
on writing, you know, for the next couple of weeks and until we have to worry about another show coming up or let's worry about recording after a show and, and we're really tight on, on the songs. So, yeah, there is some structure to it, but it's it's not as anal as everybody, <laughs> yeah. everybody would think. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about the various projects you guys have been in over the years, but uh, this seems like a good point to also talk about the studio. So how long have you had the studio? Oh, I started the studio here, Cone of Silence, recording in 2005, 2006. Oh, so it's been a while. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Basically, over years and years of recording in Baltimore and working at various other studios, Oz Recording, Hound Sound, uh, Secret Services, and a couple other places, just freelance, as computers came in and everything became affordable, I decided, let's just start something here and see where it goes. And uh, over a couple of years, I was able to put enough together to be able to record full bands here. You know, it started just, you know, single tracks, a couple microphones. Well, it really started a long time ago with a four-track cassette recorder. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and ooh, and yeah. Uh, working, working at various studios as an intern and an assistant and then just working with a bunch of producers. But it, it got to the point where I was spending a lot of money with my bands going to a studio to record. And we looked at one of our projects and realized how much we had just spent. And then I looked at, okay, what could I get with that kind of money to get started? Mm -hmm. And instead of going to a studio to do the next project, we just put all the money into our studio. Mm -hmm. And from that point, we just continued on. And slowly, I've been adding equipment to it and treating the room and adding various drums and keyboards and but he's also done all the research for it. He, yeah. he, he knows what he's doing. You know, Anybody, I guess, could get the equipment together and put up a studio, but you really have to know what you're talking about and what you're doing. And and so I, we can sit here and have dinner and I can have a conversation with him and he's reading some, you know, tape-op magazine <laughs> or mix magazine or something like that. Or, you know, he's having a conversation with me about mixing and recording. And I'm going, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> like I, have, I know exactly what he's talking about. But yeah. in you know, for his in his defense, he has, he does a lot of research. He, he he knows exactly what he's what he's doing when he's when he's recording. When we're spending a lot of money, I kind of want to figure out exactly what I want to spend yeah, it on. Yeah, totally. And, and did you mostly learn as you went? Or yeah, I never went to school. I started on my own with a four track and was recording all of my bands and just any idea that I had. And eventually, you know, I took the four track and we put a couple mics up and we got a full recording that we released. You know, uh, and uh, then <laughs> this is a funny story. I my band went to uh, a studio to record, and we booked a three day weekend. And the first day was going to be the first half of the day was going to be set up, and then we we're going to be banging out this record. Well, the first half a day of setup turned into like a day and a half. Oh god! And the engineer was very very frustrated, couldn't dial in a sound and started pointing fingers and it just got weird yeah. the owner of the studio pulled me aside and said listen this isn't i know this isn't working i'm not going to charge you for this we're going to have you come back in i've got the guy for you so uh that's how i met this guy named frank marshan oh yeah he recorded my band's album okay, Santa okay. Labrata. yeah we just worked with him that's cool all right so i um ha had frank record our band and i was impressed he got sounds up and running in half a day, and everything was uh, flying along. We made an amazing record, and uh, we'd get him to come mix our live shows. And at that point, I kind of hit him up and said, uh, do you need help? Because I've been doing this kind of a while, but I want to take it to the next level. And he took me on as an intern for one day. Oh, really? Well, just one day? And at that point, he hired me as an assistant. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't like a bad day. And no, it, didn't wasn't work a, out. it was, uh, okay, he kind of knows what he's doing, and uh, I'm going to give him a little bit of money for his time and effort. And I worked with him for a couple of years, just doing every project he was doing, the Almighty Senators and a whole bunch of other bands around here. And uh, over the years, he just started throwing me uh, gigs. He was like, I can't do this one. Can you take this one for me? Yes. And uh, from that point, I just started building up clientele over the years and worked in studios. And it 
just there came a point in time where it cost too much to go to a studio to record anymore. Mm -hmm. And I started to realize that. And that's when we started buying the equipment and recording here. And uh, at that point, we brought all the people I was working with. If they wanted to record with me, I was recording here at a reasonable price. And we've made, gosh, hundreds of albums. Yeah. What are some of your favorite ones you've recorded? Oh, we started in 2013 with a guy named Pat Grant. And I had made an album a couple of years ago with him before where me and Ann played on it. I played drums, Ann played bass, and uh, he did guitar and vocals. He's a singer-songwriter kind of guy. Mm -hmm. And it was a neat record, but it didn't really represent him. Where the next record we came at, where we just wanted to go to left field. And we started doing a little bit of electronica in it mixed with some acoustic guitar and songy things. And he's kind of like a classic Stones Who kind of guy. Oh, but if you put it through... Great bar bands sometimes. <laughs> if you put it through the weird grinder that my production will do sometimes, it came out really amazing. And he got a deal with Manta Ray Records, and he released on Manta Ray. And uh, that was a multi-year project that just kept growing and growing and we put a lot of time and effort into it we worked really hard and it's an amazing record and it's it's wonderful to see the relationship grow between studio engineer and artist mm -hmm. because they learn a lot because rich is always teaching and and uh, there's always and a lot of questions yeah. and and so it's great to see them always come prepared the next time. The next time they come, they, they've learned a little bit more. They know what to expect. And um, by the time they, they're, they're done their album, their, their project or whatever, it's, it's, a, it's a, a definitely a cooperation uh, between both, both of them. It takes a team. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and there's such a give and take. Like, I mean, I don't know Frank very well, but by the time we were done with our recording session, it felt like we were friends, you know, because yeah. like I felt like he understood what we were doing. And, you know, he was coaching me to do things. He offered little production tips and mm -hmm. it, it was a give and take that it was really pretty a amazing. A good studio engineer will tell you and help you instead of just pushing the button. And yeah. You know when you work with time. a good guy because you've come away feel you'll come away feeling good. You've learned something. They've learned something, and you get an amazing product mm -hmm. at the end. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, I guess you try to have that personal relationship. It sounds like. Right? Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. It. Where we're sitting right now at our kitchen table, every session starts at this table. <laughs> every session starts right at this table. We'll sit down. We'll discuss what's going on with your life, blah, 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 blah. Then we'll talk about what we're going to work on, and then we go and do the work. Yeah. But every session starts here, mm -hmm. and we're just hanging because we're friends. Yeah. yeah. All right. I want to jump back to the bands because you guys have played together for a really long time. I, I yeah. think I heard. Uh, so, so how did this all start? Walk me through it. Um. How did Hometown Girls start? Yeah. Or, well, or, I mean, take it back as far as you want to. Like, um, <laughs> did you guys meet in bands or? No. Or, no. Okay. But, well, Let's no. go back to when we started playing together. Okay. Well, in all honesty, Rich is played guitar since he's 11, 12 years old. Mm -hmm. And he and his buddy would get together on a Friday night and play guitar and just all night long just drink beer smoke a couple cigarettes and play guitar and they were looking for a bass player and so they decided well let's let's teach Anne how to play bass and and she can jam and many many bass players are born I, that way and i was like you know and normally i was always hanging out with the girlfriend of the buddy and or whatever and after a while there became a couple of different variations of buddies that would come over and the girlfriends and i go out and sit in the back or watch a movie or a TV or something like that. So eventually it was, all right, let's teach Anne how to play bass. And I went, oh, sure, what the hell? I mean, this this can't last long. <laughs> <laughs> and that was 20 years ago, I wow. think. So. And so I, we started out doing guitar. Rich was on guitar and I was on bass. And what was the name of that project? Number. It was, that was Number. Okay. That was the original project. It's, it's, it's spelled like number, but it's pronounced number. <laughs> and so Rich played guitar and I played bass. And we were in that for about five years, seven years? Nine years. Nine years. Wow. Oh my so God. I had a long run. 
<laughs> yeah, but we started as a four piece. Yeah. And uh, then went on to, yeah. Became a three piece after our other guitar player left. But we added keyboards at a time. No one was doing this in probably 2001. Yeah. We were running around with a keyboard, a MIDI sequencer, headphones for the drummer, so he could listen to a click. And we would all be in sync, so our keyboard parts on the songs would come through live. Oh, oh okay. okay. So you had it on the... Okay. I'm lugging literally saying. a keyboard and two racks with me and pushing buttons in between it. songs just to make sure everything people works. People come up afterwards and say, what is the drummer listening to? What band is he listening to when he's playing the music? But it's a click track just so that he Keep knew when, to, we we when to come in and then the keyboards would come in. And so number was for nine years. Yeah. And uh, then after number, we went to... Two different projects. <laughs> the first one was called Herschel Hoover. And that's with our friend Herschel Hoover, who okay. we were in number with for the first... He was in number for the first three years. And then he split and we went to a three-piece. Then when number broke up, I, I've been playing guitar, bass, keyboards for years of my entire life. I never learned how to play drums. Oh, so at that so. point, like, you yeah. know, 15, 16 years ago, I said, okay, I'm going to get a drum kit. I'm going to start to play. So I stayed on bass and Herschel was, was he wrote guitar. the songs. It was his, his band, so to speak. And would you write your parts or would it be like, Hey, play this? Um, mainly he, he wrote, he wrote everything. Um, and we would contribute our parts to it. Um, and, um, uh, was, yeah, he was the main songwriter. We just helped kind of twist his songs into place. And, you know, it wasn't wrote as in, say, Anne must play this. But if we sure, start yeah. at a certain place, yeah. you know, that's always a good place to start. Yeah, gotcha. And I would come up with a simple beat. And, you know, I'm kind of learning how to play drums and yeah. holding my own. <laughs> and we started doing that for a while. And then after that, I wanted to get back to guitar. So while we were still doing Herschel Hoover, we started Creepy Myrtle. Yes, I was still on bass, that. and we had another drummer. We were back to a three-piece with yeah. a separate drummer. And, uh, yeah. We I was on guitar and vocal, and I was playing open-tuned guitar. Every time we do a project, I wanted to have a distinct sound. That's why we added the keyboards into Nummer after we became a one-guitar band, because not everyone was doing that. And I was a huge fan of the rentals, so it was mm -hmm. like, just do it. <laughs> but uh, Creepy Myrtle was kind of a cross between Drive Like Jehu, um, what's the band D. Boone was in? Oh, Minutemen? Yes. Yeah. And Minutemen. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which, yeah, totally. well, it just, it was kind of weird and pointy, but it had a distinct sound to it. Oh, yeah. And That's, that was my exposure to you guys, is I, I, my old band played a Creepy Myrtle show at Club K, played with you guys at Club K. You okay. Might, it was a while ago, but uh, yeah, I was blown away by it because I, I hadn't really listened to a lot of like that kind of music where it was just like, ah, it was like washing over you, yeah. just like really intense. Yeah. <laughs> so after Creepy Myrtle, is that when we get to? Well, no, then you were doing. Uh, uh, then in the middle of all of that, the third band I was didn't in. didn't have enough on his plate. <laughs> Uh, then we started special people with right. Alex uh, from MT6 Records and a couple of other guys. And so was, was that concurrent? That. You weren't in that. I wasn't okay. in that, but that was that was the richest trifecta. He was doing <laughs> bass in Special People. He was doing guitar in Creepy Myrtle, and he was doing drums in Herschel Hoover. Oh wow! And time. recording That's a bunch insane. of bands at the same oh, time. At the yeah. same time. <laughs> <laughs> but that that was the heyday. So that that was cool. Special People went for five years during all of this, yeah. and that was just full on noise great. rock crazy just intense music yeah, yeah. that was yeah. so great stuff and then uh, eventually um towards no special people was still going herschel hoover had slowed up, up uh, and creepy myrtle clay quit creepy myrtle he was getting a bigger family. It was too much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. his third kid, his second job. He was in two bands already. So, it was, was like, he had to cut out one, and we had we our were plate fine. Full, so we were totally <laughs> fine. It was it had been five years, and we were very happy with it. It was, it was perfect. It was you know, you know, nobody was upset or unhappy or anything. It was time for us to move on. So. They all seemed to end. If 
if you're cool about it and you're adults, you can end them and everybody's still yeah. friends. It doesn't have to be like some divorce or something. No, it doesn't. A lot of them are all still doing their own music. They're doing another project. They've moved on. You know, sometimes you do have to be like Madonna and reinvent yourself <laughs> every now and then. You know, you just can't be doing the same songs over and over again so you do sort of have to move on so that's when i convinced you to start playing guitar instead of bass yes and we decided to go two piece and i said well you know sure why not this won't last that long (laughs) well tell me about that transition what did it come real quick to you no no because i loved the bass and um it was um it it, it, would guitar is different it's always been very different for me um Actually watching Rich, who probably has a God-given talent for being able to pick up a guitar or, you know, hear a song on the radio and be able to immediately play that off the guitar. So it was a bit of a challenge for me. Bass I liked, um, but I I was interested in it and I wanted to do it. And it was going from the sidelines, so to speak, being a bass player to being, you know, the front man well, front and, and singing and, too, yeah. and, and playing at the same time, but I, I had, I had a feeling. And come on, look at, look at what we've been doing all this time. I knew I wasn't getting out of it, so <laughs> there's only one way to go. So, it, and it's been fun. I've enjoyed it. I really have. I do miss playing bass, but I'll get over it. I like playing guitar too. <laughs> So, I, I don't know about the drums, though. The drums may be a little bit too much for me. I don't think yeah. I'm going to progress like Rich did and okay. move on to the drums. <laughs> uh, so I wanted to talk about the guitar, if we can nerd out about gear and stuff for a second, because it's so fucking evil in a good way. Like, I love the guitar on that stuff. So what are you playing? What does it go through? Uh, well, mainly the guitar is 1964 Silvertone, okay. um, which is... Uh, Rich's guitar, and when of course I picked it up, he said, like, "Be very careful." It's not just You've dropped it a couple times. It's made it through. I dropped it. It's it's fallen off its strap. I caught it. I may have dinged it once or twice into you know a corner. Here it happens. Or there. It happens. But uh, the guitar through by amped through a terror bass because orange terror bass amp head because that's the way to go and. Um, the, With the uh, Fender, Fender Vibro Lux Vibro. on top. Oh, yeah. Okay. So she's got a bass amp and a guitar amp, and she's in drop C tuning. And that, mm, that's that, probably why it sounds so. Yeah. Uh, uh, gives me a little bit of the bass comfort, which I I miss. I like having that. And a lot of people do come up and say, "Who's playing bass guitar? <laughs> playing? There's only the two of you." So um, that it, it gives me a lot of comfort having that little bass in there. But because of the guitar. When I'm not touching the strings or playing a note, it feeds back unbelievably mm. because of the amps. So that's where you get that wicked, crazy screeching sound. <laughs> that's awesome, though. Um, and I also wanted to ask you guys about uh, playing together as a couple. So um, it, at whatever level you're comfortable, talk to me about like <laughs> well, talk to me about having a musical relationship and and how that works together. I think being in a band is sort of like always being in a marriage you know mm. you do have highs and lows and good times and bad times and sometimes it works and and you stay married and you stay in the band and sometimes divorce happens and sometimes you quit a band so um it 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 never felt like it was hard for me to be in both or to juggle both of them and we've always been very respectful of other band members. We've mm. never tried to, well, jokingly, when we were three-piece, whenever we would have an argument as to which direction a song should go in, Rich had one opinion and I had another, we would jokingly say to the drummer, okay, which one do you like best? <laughs> Pick it. But we've always been very respectful about, you know, keeping everything equal and uh, um, everybody has a say and everybody has an opinion. Even when it came down to when we used to shell out money for recording, half, if we were in a four-piece band, we paid for half of the stuff because, yeah. you know, everybody had a quarter of a share. So well, that's fair. We yeah. tried to be very, very open and, 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 and uh, you know, very, very accommodating to those who aren't in the marriage relationship <laughs> with us. At least, so it's not been difficult for me. Rich, you may have. Oh, it's... Uh, we're we're really good friends and we've been together for a very long time and uh the positive part of it is 
were really musically tight. I mm. mean, it's just... There's two people in this world who I'm that tight with musically. One is Anne, the other is Herschel Hoover. Mm -hmm. And we're just, we feel the pocket. We literally feel the pocket. I know where she's going. She knows where I'm going. Yeah. And that's the cool thing. Uh, other than that, you know, we're a couple. We fight. We, we, we make up. We play music. We don't, tr it doesn't involve the music. We're... Mm -hmm. If you separate that, you know, we're, we're out on the road. We're having a great time. It's the two of us on vacation, but every <laughs> night we get to go play a show. Yeah, it sounds I mean, pretty I get to fun. go away and travel with my wife, and <laughs> we're having a great It's just like when we're on vacation, except every night we get to go play. Yeah. What could be better? Yeah. I don't, I, we're seeing more and more couples, you know, doing doing bands and music. And, and we were in Wilmington, North Carolina, and there were brothers Two-piece brothers. And I was like, oh, I love it that they're brothers. <laughs> Two-piece brothers. And then there's the husband and wife, wife yes, in the band in Time. Yeah. And, you know, it's not uncommon. We're seeing it more and more. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay, there's a family. There's two brothers. There's, there, there's a husband and a wife. There's a husband and a wife and three other guys. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's if, if you can do it, do it. <laughs> I think it's becoming more common. I think, I, I think certainly couples will have an interest in it. And um, uh, it, it to, sometimes it can be very easy to be able to you know get your own home studio recording together, or or just go do an amateur night or an open mic night, and go out and have fun, and and you who knows where it's going to lead to. But um, it's it, it in the long story short, it's never been really difficult as a couple mm -hmm. because I really believe that you know you know you're in a your marriage when you're in a band. So. Yeah. yeah, you're in a band. That's you're in a marriage. You're in a band marriage. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's come up a lot. Uh, actually, the the idea of bands as as relationships. But uh, it must be nice to to play music with someone you know so well and who knows you so well. I would imagine it does help. Yes, um, communication is is important, and uh, um, certainly if you like the same music, that helps too. Oh, sure. Um, uh, I don't know anybody that does separate music. You know, the husband does one thing and the wife does another thing. I don't know. And it's usually all together in the same project. So what kind of influences uh, inspire you guys? What bands do you listen to that, that come out in the music? Oh, we both love Seeger Roos. Oh, okay. And we go to see them religiously. <laughs> yeah. And they're always amazing. Um, That's kind of surprising with how hard you guys play. And uh, well, they're, they're much more it's, we're music fans. Yeah. Okay. So what we play is what we play. Mm -hmm. What we listen to is what we listen to. And it's weird because we've been listening to music our whole lives. Yeah. We've got these huge catalogs of music that we can pull from. Yeah. And now, you know, you want to listen to something, boop, there yeah, it is. You know, as a kid, I started out on classical piano. And my mother and father were huge um, classical uh, fans of music. And so that's all you listen to? That's all I listened mm -hmm. to was classical music. And my dad liked big bands or dance music and some jazz. So, um, and I'm the youngest of 12 kids. So oh my I God. had a huge amount of music that I listened to growing up. So musically rich had the talent for it he had the god-given talent for playing music and I, I i was just you know had a lot of music that i was exposed to growing up and so seeger roos with the classical is why i kind of like it it does have it a has that very feel yeah classical you know feel to it um but we've we've you know turned each other on to Growing up, listening to music and then and sort of getting together, we've sort of meshed and. I was a metal kid. Yes, sure. And Anne was an early HFS REM kind of person. Yeah, and I can see that working. She would just constantly play me all kinds of stuff, and I would just play her my stupid metal stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know, we'd go to both kinds of concerts. Yeah, yeah. And. As time went on, we both found we liked certain things. 
uh, we we went nuts for Sonic Youth. Sonic Youth. Yeah. We true. saw Sonic Youth. It was it was ninety five or ninety six. Lollapalooza. Yeah. And I'd been we'd been aware of them for a while and listened to them, but until you see them, mm-hmm. and it overtakes you, it's like oh, the light went off in my head. And that right around then is when we started Number. Yes. Mm-hmm. Not long after exactly, that. Yeah. That, that was the uh, that compelling was, point. The, yeah, yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Sonic Youth is one of those bands that I'm upset I, w- I wasn't able to see. Oh. Like, was, um, but uh, yeah, that for a while there, it was like every single time they would come around. We've probably mm-hmm. seen them ten times. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and th- and then first and after that, too. yeah. yeah. <laughs> then from there, we kind of moved on and started totally got into the Flaming Lips. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, I, I had found out about the Flaming Lips, you know, Jelly back then and uh, even some stuff before that, but they kind of went to the wayside. Mm-hmm. And then we, uh, the Soft Bulletin came out and I was just blown away by the Soft Bulletin. And we got to see them at a little club down in Fells Point called Fletcher's. Oh, wow. I mean... It's hard to, to imagine them in a club. 150 like, people on the Flaming Lips on stage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and then we jumped on that bandwagon for a while, and we just kept seeing them all the time. And uh, then we kind of moved on to Seeger Roos, and now we're kind of, we're stuck on Father John Misty. Misty, yeah, oh, okay. yeah, yeah. Well, we had a couple of them Dowdy in there. And, and Soul uh, Coffee. And, yeah. And, yeah. I haven't oh, spent yeah, a lot of time with Father John Misty. I'll have to pull some of that up, but. It's kind of like post California folk sound. It's, but he's too intelligent. <laughs> but that's it. The, I, I was impressed because it was an interesting record. But when we saw him live, and this is how I am if your live show is better than your record, you win. <laughs> yeah. You win. You win hands down because that means you're doing it right. And he does not disappoint. The band he has built up over the years. We just saw him up in Philly a couple of months ago. Mm-hmm. Strings, horns, amazing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then there's, you know, I'm a metal kid. So what do I want to play? I want to play Sabbath on the drums. I want to play Zeppelin on the drums. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as far as keeping, you know, Hometown Girls kind of like this punk band that has these metal tendencies. But sure. It's, it's a punk band. Mm-hmm. So when you put Anne's guitar playing into the punk grinder, works perfectly. <laughs> yeah, and and sometimes you know, I, I, it's hard for me to always. People ask, "What do you sound like?" You know, band you sound like. It's always hard, it's so hard for me because there are little elements here and there, and sometimes with my vocals, you can't help but notice a little bit of Kim Gordon's. Oh, absolutely. And it's not. It was never done intentionally. It was just how I kind of sounded, and when I tried to get off of that because I never wanted to be. You know, oh, she's she's that chick that sounds like Kim Gordon, and I never wanted to be like that. But when when I tried to alter or change that a little, it never felt right. So mm. it was always kind of moved back into. Well, you want it to position. be you. So yeah. if that happens to sound a little bit like mm-hmm. Kim Gordon, then what are you gonna do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But even when I played bass for for a while, there was you know everybody was oh Kim Gordon plays bass too. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yes. She also plays bass, bass, yes. Other people play bass, too. Okay, Gordon, yes. Yeah. yeah, but when we started cutting your vocal and you started doing a vocal, as a producer, my direction to you always was, sound like you don't care. And when you sound Just like you don't care, you sound like Kim Gordon. Yeah, but no, that's true. That's, true, <laughs> that's a big element of her presentation. Uh, I w- okay, I need to ask this question. So <laughs> you were one of a dozen kids. So how did you have the space to get into music? How did you find music? Um, well, um, we had a piano, so all, oh, you had one in the uh, house. Yeah, okay. and at our growing up, and did so all your siblings all kids, play too? No, not all of them. The younger kids. Um, there was usually four kids, and then five kids, and then. The, the last uh, three kids but the last four ended up playing uh, piano um, classical piano lessons and um, it wasn't until um, I started dating Rich and he played guitar I kind of got out of the piano thing I mean, my parents sold the piano at some point I didn't take it personally or anything <laughs> like that so I got out of playing music for a long time and Rich was doing the guitar and other various bands and even before number and and uh, um, so he's always had uh, had the music and then again so so when he you know recruited me to play bass that's when I had started picking up things and um, it was it I eventually ended up getting my own bass you know and uh, 
I'm still playing with Rich's guitar. I haven't moved to that stage yet where I want to. <laughs> it's wanna our commit. guitar. <laughs> I want to commit to my very own guitar. I'm not quite ready. I like yours, and, and I'm comfortable with that. So, uh, but Rich, you know, through the years, he's he's always had the music and the guitars, and that's where he picked up all that stuff from. And so, how did you get started? You started playing at a young age. Yeah, I probably in third or fourth grade started playing trumpet at school and learned how to read music and kind of got a little bit of idea of music theory and all when, your friends played music too well yeah you hung uh, around a lot of musician uh, friends you it was all my band friends from school and then all the kids in the neighborhood who played i convinced i wanted a drum kit when i was a kid i wanted a drum kit so bad my mom would not get me a drum kit because it was too loud yeah I got a guitar. And so you just cranked it up? Well, it was an acoustic. It was a half or three-quarter size acoustic. I'm 12 and I have little fingers, and I still have little fingers. But at that point, you know, I just started banging on the guitar, and I knew how to read sheet music from studying band, so I was able to look at some things and try and figure it out and got a couple of chord books and things like that, and... Then I started learning how to play everything off of records yeah, and learned all of that stuff. And uh, What kind of records were you learning on? Oh, the first, very, very, very first song I ever learned on guitar was Swing Town by Steve Miller. I don't know if I know that one. I'll have to uh, check it out. I think it's on Book of Dreams. Okay. Or, or, yeah, I think You'd it's recognize it if you know. Yeah, probably. Yeah, it, it, Steve Miller, he's definitely played a lot. So Yeah, yeah I, I, I was learning... At that point, it wasn't classic rock. I was learning how to play what was on the radio. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, so I, as I got older, I found Van Halen. As soon as Van Halen happened, okay, now I need an electric guitar. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think it was for Hanukkah, I got uh, Montgomery Ward's Les Paul copy and a little Univox amplifier. Nice. No fuzz box yet. <laughs> didn't quite sound right. Um, not knowing I didn't, it, was, it wasn't a fuzz box. I thought I needed new pickups. I sold my trumpet for new pickups. <laughs> and I put these DiMarzio pickups in and that wasn't it. And then I got a little big muff. There and you go. okay, now I'm starting to sound like what I'm hearing. And I got into metal and at that point, probably around 15, 16, I started playing in real bands with people. Before then, I played, there was a, uh, in junior high, I played in the Blues Brothers band. The Blues Brothers movie came out when I was a kid. And we did all the Blues Brothers songs. Oh, I was a guitar amazing. player in the Blues Brothers band. Did you wear suits and all yes. that? Yes. Nice. Um, then I was in a band called The Autos. We were a Cars cover band. <laughs> was it Herschel who were in that band? Hirsch was yeah. in that with so us. That, Hirsch was that your first back. band with him? Oh, no, my God. No. Yeah. Uh, Hirsch, my first band with Hirsch? Oh, yeah. That's yeah, what yeah, I yeah. meant. So. Yeah, yeah. We were kids. We'd known each other since we were like 12, 13. Oh, wow. So we grew up playing yeah. music together. He, he, he went to Peabody for piano, mm -hmm. and he learned theory and all that stuff. And would basically come home, and I'd ask him questions about it, and he'd teach me theory. So I had almost a Peabody education. <laughs> Second hand. That's just <laughs> <Exactly>. as good. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, then, then I started doing metal bands in the 80s and uh, did that for a while. Like and, Van Halen style metal? Uh, yeah, Sabbath? like hair metal. Like... And, you know, Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, nice. and eventually into your crappy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we, we would just terrorize Baltimore. Terrorize Baltimore. But uh, when I was 16, I wanted to get into sound. You know, I just, I, I know there's sound guys. I've seen, go to, go to see bands. And it's like, what's the sound guy doing? Mm -hmm. That was kind of my, ooh, not quite recording yet, but sound. There's like a mystery to them. Yeah. It's like they're working those knobs. What is going on back there? Exactly. <laughs> so when I was 16, I uh, found an ad in the paper. A band was looking for a sound man in South Baltimore. Okay. I'm 16. I lie and tell them I'm 18. <laughs> and I go down. I get the job. Nice. I'm 16 years old, and I'm working in a place called Joe's Organic Bar, which was 8 by 10 before it was 8 by 10. Oh, so okay. And we were working there every other weekend with these bands. and It was a set of bands, and I was running sound when I was 16. And that was crazy. So I got kind of involved in that, and then I'm watching these guys play, and they can really play. I'm just 
dinking around. Mm -hmm. So then I had something to strive for. And then we kind of grew up and did the metal stuff. And after years of just playing, we eventually wrote our own music and met Frank Marchand and did our recording with that. But over time, that ended. And I was at the point where I was like, I want to have a stress-free band. Mm -hmm. So we're jamming with Hirsch at our old house in the front room. And it's like, let's get Anne on bass. <laughs> this could be stress-free. We're all friends. I've known Whoops. Hirsch since <laughs> I was 12. And <laughs> Anne's been doing great. And we got um, Hirsch's cousin to come play drums with us. And it was a family thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was like, okay, this is stress-free. So we ran that for a mm -hmm. while. And then caught up with the story and here we are with hometown girl yeah, that's awesome but clearly if you're you know lying at the age of 16 to do sound that was what you were supposed to, you were born to do oh that's definitely what you're supposed to do there's yeah. no way you can sit and have a desk job and put on coat <laughs> no. and go to work every day and you, know, you got to be doing sound or music for for the rest of your life at that point yeah you made the life out of it that's pretty awesome that's yeah, been a lifetime experience yeah. we've been building to here and <laughs> it's just now it's cool because we're older and we kind of have a little wisdom with it. Sure. You know, we're not geniuses or anything, but the way the world has come since the 70s, 80s, 90s, yeah. 2000, it's 2017. Yeah. And you can still thrive. It's almost like the 60s again, where there's so much music being thrown at you yeah. that you won't know it unless you go see it for mm -hmm. real. That's true. And people are starting to get that. Yeah. And when we go out and tour, we really see that because we're one or maybe two touring bands and then there's one or two local bands. And the people who come to the shows are interested to see everybody. Yeah. yeah. They pay attention. Yeah. They made the effort to come out to exactly. see local music. Yeah. And, and they're supporting it. And if you're going to come out on a Wednesday or Thursday night to a coffee shop and there's no alcohol involved, yeah. and you're just there for the music, power to you. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Especially the fact that like a, a coffee shop would let a punk show right. go there. So there's there's an interest in the, out there for for these kinds of shows and music. And, and uh, so, yeah, it's it's people are throwing and... and, and but, but it's cool to see people going to shows. Yeah. Because, you know... In Baltimore, and you play around, you know what I mean, those dreaded Monday night shows mm. or something like that, unless it's a well-promoted, good Monday night show. Sure. And that that's kind of the thing we've learned over the years. We're selective on the shows we play. We don't say no to everybody. We don't say yes to everybody. Mm -hmm. But if it's a good show with a decent promoter and we feel we fit on the bill, we're on it. Mm -hmm. uh, we've learn through experience that we're not going to go with an acoustic act or two right. acoustic. Yeah. I mean, just... That's not going to help yeah. anybody. No. Like. <laughs> no. But, you know, when you get that call, so when you look into the gig, it's like, mm, yeah. you don't want to be the guy to say yeah, no. But you don't want to be the only local band when there's five other five bands all together, four of them are out of town. Mm. And you don't want to be the only local band and it's like Halloween night or Labor Day weekend or something like that. It's yes. like, you know, why are you even trying? It's not a good night to, you know have a show so yeah. being selective makes sense yeah. yeah at this point so then we get to go out and tour a couple of times a year and it's fun to tour because you know you've played with touring bands what happens with the touring band everyone wants to make sure the touring band's taken care mm -hmm. of yeah we're the touring band yay <laughs> and you know you go out you're cool you make friends you get to see bands every night you mm -hmm. get to see the coolest people and from that you just network it out and Help them get some shows, you get some shows, and then we're all having yeah. fun. Do you guys have any particularly good tour stories? <laughs> Jerome Avenue. Jerome Avenue was <laughs> purely named after getting lost in Brooklyn or Harlem and New York. Going it was the Bronx. Bronx. It was the Bronx, okay. Okay, we're, here, here's our crazy, well, it's not even crazy. This is a married couple tour story. <laughs> okay, so we're, this is going to get real. I'm driving... I'm navigating. Anne's navigating. And I... We're I, going I mean, to reading Boston. glasses, okay? And I am... <laughs> in my purse, I have two pairs of shades of glasses and glass cases and, and uh, wallets and tour, uh, toll money and, and everything. And phones. And I'm holding cords and chargers and everything in the phone. And I... I all right. What does MapQuest say? Where do we got to go? Right, let me put my glasses on. Well, 
long story short, we finally figured out it's easier for me to drive and Rich to navigate. <laughs> but Rich was navigating. Now, was here's the long the story. Time. I was navigating. And I'm driving. We're going we got lost, to Boston. We don't know whose fault it was. Oh, we know exactly. <laughs> it was my fault. Yes. <laughs> I got off. When you go past the Holland Tunnel as you're heading north from New York, there's a ton of overpasses. Yeah. The navigation goes crazy as you go under them, and it starts to do the reroute. At one point, Anne's telling me, I know we're going to Boston. We're on 95. Okay, we're going to be on 95 for a little while. You have to get off here. The phone says to get off here. You have to get off here. Okay. All right. But it's, and in, we're on Jerome Avenue on in the Jerome. Bronx with... Oh, now it's going to take us a mile to drive through the Bronx to get back around to get back on 95. Which was backed up anyhow. Oh, and then we got to Connecticut. So so remember when Rich said he wanted a stress-free band? (laughs) (laughs) Well, then, at that point, we made the decision. Anne's going to drive because she's a safer driver. No tickets. No tickets. She's (laughs) good at this. And Rich is... I'm going to navigate because... Every special people tour, I sat in the passenger seat and did nav. We never got lost. Yeah. So. And he has said, as soon as we set out on the highway, he's like, I'm the happiest person right now. I'm in the car. I'm listening to music. I'm navigating. And we're going to a place where we're going to play music. Life could not be any better than that. <laughs> but other than that, the only other good, cool, cool tour stories is always how to pack the van with all the equipment. It, we've got it down to the point where you know everything has to fit, and mm. then on top of that, you gotta you know, carry your clothes and luggage and whatever. And so, packing the van has always been just one of those things you gotta get it just right. It's like and everyone's impressed we can see out the back Pack, yeah. oh, okay. <laughs> with with a full drum kit. <laughs> that's a sign of success, being yeah. able to see out the back. But that's that's another you know teamwork effort is packing up the the entire car with all the equipment and yeah. everything goes where it goes and there's just it's tetris yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's that's fun for us we like figuring out that kind of stuff you know we figure out how long we're going to be if we're going to have time to stop and do laundry because we want to try and do that mm-hmm. because if we can stop halfway and get the laundry done then we only bring half the amount of clothes of some sort Pack lighter. You weren't. We're, we may play punk music, but we're not quite still. Punks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Doesn't mean you have to smell like you're like a crust punk. <laughs> no. no, other than that, it's it, Baltimore is small to more. Everywhere you go, you run into somebody who knows somebody, knows somebody, or, or is was in Baltimore, lived in Baltimore, Virginia, or DC, yeah. or knows the place. And so for me, it's always fun being on tour because I always say that's small to more for you. I was standing on the last tour. I'm standing out in front of the place we played in Greensboro talking about the history of Club K with a band who came through a couple of years ago. Oh, really? Yeah. That's so it's like, okay, is Club K still around? Yeah. Sorry, no. no. But there's Rest this, in this, peace. This. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's funny. Mm. What band was that? Just out of curiosity. Um, um, it was, was it? Must, it no, permanent makeup. Permanent makeup. Okay. They're yeah, from Florida. But, uh, I, get, I don't think I know them. But um, yeah, uh, this kind of touches on the next question I had for you um, as we kind of wind things down. Uh, so you've been part of Baltimore Music for, for so long. Talk to me about like how the scene has changed over time. And I'm sure part of that is just getting older yourselves. But Yeah. Um, it's always been cyclical. I've watched it spin the circle quite a few times. And I've come to realize that it's generational. And as one generation moves out, the next comes in. It doesn't mean they're going to the same clubs that we're all going to. Huh. Houses are huge right now. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, they bypassed all the bullshit that you have to deal with the club. Given a choice, I'll play a house show over a club show any day because you got however many people are there. Everyone's there for the music. Mm-hmm. Nobody's there to get drunk. You never do pay to play. Yeah. Oh, God. Back in the 90s, there was so much pay to play in Baltimore. It was ridiculous. Hi, come buy the tickets and sell them to all of your friends for this show. Yeah. We and never did a pay It's to like play that now. that Ponzi scheme, like selling knives, like yeah. those yeah, those yeah. things. Yeah, I hate that. But um, let's see. When we start, when I started doing this in the eighties, there were a lot. It was the club scene. There was a lot of clubs. It was the metal scene. There was not as much downtown as there was out in the counties. 
And then all the counties shut down. Everything came into the city through the 90s. Mm-hmm. And as we dealt with the 90s, I'm trying, trying, trying to think. Yeah. Club K came in around 2000 after all of that, or maybe a little after 2000, like 2005. And that whole little scene worked. And uh, I, I like the uh, North, North Avenue corridor with mm-hmm. everything's going on there with oh, the, the Metro Gallery yeah. and the uh, wind-up space, the Crown the right up the street. The Hexagon was up there too. The Hexagon yeah. and then Reverb right up the street from that. So there's stuff going on in North, you know, what's that area called? Yeah, North Avenue. The North yeah. Avenue, yeah. And it, it's nice that everything's in one place. Like, yeah. there's, you know, there's yeah. always something going on there. Right. And then you have all the houses in that part of town, too. Yeah. And uh, Baltimore's interesting. There's always the Essex and Dundalk part <laughs> where uh, Dick's halfway in. That's just <laughs> brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> um, but that's just a playoff. In, in the 80s, there was a place called the Midway Cafe in Essex, and across the street from that was a club. So there's all that stuff going on. Baltimore right now is, there's a lot of places to play, but it's kind of diluted. Hmm. How do you mean diluted? Like There's so scenes? many people, bands vying for things. If you want to see a good show, you'll go to a house. You mm-hmm. won't go to a club. And you won't hear about it. It won't be advertised. Someone will invite you mm-hmm. on Facebook and you'll PM somebody for the address mm-hmm. if you don't know it. But that's kind of where the future is right now. That's where everything landed. There's The sidebar's been there forever. Everybody plays the sidebar, but not everybody loves the sidebar. <laughs> yeah. And there's nothing wrong with it because they're an institution. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, we'll say I always have a good time there. So. Yeah. Oh, I do too. But... Knowing what I know about this town, they'll keep going, but all these other things will happen around it that'll become a little more important, and it'll go down, it'll come back up. Travis is a great guy. He runs an amazing place. Well, when they had Autobar originally on the The old Autobar. The old Autobar was right around the corner from Sidebar. Um, but also around Sidebar, around that area, there's nothing open. You've got the courthouses yeah. and everything. There's no parking. There's, there's, you know, I mean. If you're going to Sidebar, you're going to a show. Yeah, you know, there's even, nothing else. Even like there. touring bands, if they come in there, like, where do you go to eat? You, well, you might as well get in your car and drive <laughs> because there's nothing really accessible there. It's in a really bad location. I would love to see a lot more built up in that area because I, Travis does a really good job at the, at the bar. All, 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 yeah, everybody yeah. there does. So I would like to see more support in that it, area it is a weird experience to go to the sidebar like all the the offices around are closed so it's like it almost feels deserted yeah, which is, yeah. in a way it's kind of cool because it has this like weird uh, post-apocalyptic vibe mm-hmm. so depending <laughs> on what band's playing that yeah, could be you still want something to eat <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? that's true you still want something to eat but i also i know that um uh, i know when we started playing music years ago it was unheard of that you were more than in more than one band at the same time, mm. because you know normally people would get a little upset, their noses would get bent out of joint. You're not focusing all your attention on our band. You need to get all your friends to come out and see this show, this gig. Nowadays, Rich is in three bands at one point. Everybody's in different projects, doing different things, and. Um, that is certainly something that I have seen that has changed over the years. And I think also over the years, I think bands and musicians in general have just become more respectful. And there's a lot more uh, equipment sharing. And People are and, open. Yeah. It was weird. There was a time where you would go into a club and there'd be one band in one corner, one band in another corner, one band at the bar, and nobody wanted to talk. Oh, and yeah, you would go weird. over and try and talk. We always try to talk to people, and you go over, you have to talk to one group in one corner, then you move your way over. It was now weird. it's like we're all hanging out. And everybody wanted that sweet spot. Everybody wanted They all that wanted to play third spot. on a four-band yeah. show, you and know? they would get bent. And there would be times when we'd be like, hey, we've had gigs with you before. You always get that spot. We always get last. We don't want to get into a fight with it or anything, but you don't want to roll you over and let everybody walk over. Yeah. Either. I mean, times have changed. They really have as far as, as, as musicians have grown and their attitudes have gotten a lot better and everybody's really open and they just want to, you know, 
have, play music and have fun. And when it when it went away from the kind of attitude, like there was a time where every band wanted to get signed. That was mm, the end. Yeah, we want to get true. signed. We got signed with Number. What did it lead to? <laughs> it led to we signed some papers and put a record out, but you know that was that. Yeah. Um, everyone wanted to get signed. Now the proliferation of DIY. Yeah. Leveled the fucking playing field. It's kind of like the standard now. Like, yeah. It wasn't. It was more of a punk thing, a, like a re- the crust punk, early punk thing, marble bar kind of thing. And I knew it was always there, but I was in the 80s. I'm trying to get signed. Mm-hmm. And once you realize that, okay, all these people are doing this stuff themselves, you can release a... Re- yeah. You can release your own record. You yeah. put it on Bandcamp. Yeah. You can release, put it on YouTube, put your videos out there. You can monetize your own thing. Yeah. You can sell t-shirts at a show. You can sell your merch at a show. If you tour, you'll make some money because you're the out-of-town band mm-hmm. to get to the next town. Mm-hmm. As compared Spend to, it on gas. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. But, you know, that's cool. So, but there's pockets of this all over the country. And when you tour around and you get to meet, there's so many like-minded people. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I noticed is when we go down south to the cities, the accent's gone. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, It's like, wow. Now you got in, in, into the sticks and you'll still hear it. Right. But everybody is starting to talk just like we do. Mm-hmm. The accents are disappearing. It's becoming one nation. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. that is. Yeah, that's wild. And it's cool to see that touring. That's an experience that, uh, you know, you can only have through through music and hitting the road. Mm. Um, so I, I wrap up this show with the same question every time. I, if, if you guys had any advice for maybe a younger musician or a musician that's just starting about being in a band, uh, what, what would that be? What would you tell them? Um, uh, treat it very seriously. I know that, you know, um, you go out to clubs you know, even the house shows, they allow alcohol and stuff like that. But some, you know, every time you get together for band practice, it doesn't have to be a reason to to drink or smoke or anything like that. You do have to 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 be serious about it because, yes, you're going to have a lot of fun if you're going to get drunk, but you're going to play sloppy. Yeah. You're going to play like shit and nobody's going to like it. So we all learn that the hard way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I hate to be the adult in the room. I hate to, you know, dampen everybody's fun, but you do have to treat it seriously. If you want it, if you want to get anything back from it, that would be my advice. Uh, Watch your heroes, see what they're doing, and you can do it. All it takes is time and energy. It's that simple. And the other thing is you have to be able to acknowledge and practice the things you can't do. Mm -hmm. If you're weak on something, that's what you need to practice. Don't worry about it. Practice it. You will get better. But your advice also is always, um, he, everyone who's always talked to about this, he's always said, start singing now. Yeah. Start <laughs> no, singing now. now. You Good will point. eventually become the singer. Start singing Sing. now. Yeah. Get used to your voice. Start using it. <laughs> it's a muscle. And, you got to use it. And read everything. He always tells everybody to read. Whatever publications are out if there. If you want to know something, look at YouTube. Yeah. These days, it's all there. If you want to learn how to record, there's a million videos. If you want to learn what microphone to put on a guitar amp, there's a million <laughs> videos. If you want to learn about the middle eight of a song and how to make it more interesting, there's a million videos. Awesome. That's great advice. Uh, so where can people learn more about your band? Where can they follow? What shows you have coming up? Hometown Girl. Three words. Uh, hometown Girl. Bandcamp, Hometown Girl, Facebook. Awesome. And is Bandcamp the best way to get the album? Yeah. Okay. Um, the album is a cassette release, hand-printed, hand-numbered, and uh, CD release, limited edition. And we also have t-shirts you can buy. Okay. Cool, cool. And uh, one more time, the studio. If people want to check oh, out your studio. Cone of Silence Studio. And you can find me on Facebook. Okay. Well, thanks so much, guys. This was a lot of fun. Thanks. Great thanks. to talk Thank to you. Thank you, Kelsey.